Hello there, listener. I didn't see you there. What are you doing here? Oh, you've come to listen to a podcast? Fair enough. My name's Hub, and welcome back to a special bonus episode of Teen Titan Wasteland. This is the second one of these that we are doing, and once again, it is thanks to our Patreon donators that we are doing this one. So, if you see a Patreon donator to Teen Titan Wasteland, say thank you to them. And, like, I don't know, give them a hug if they want one. Make sure about that part. Yeah, our last one went really well. My mom was a special guest, and uh, you people responded very well, and thank you for being kind to her. If you were not, I don't know what I would do. I'd track you down and punch you in your stupid faces if you were that theoretical stupid person who didn't like my mom. We're getting off on a weird foot here. Anyway, today we're going to be taking a look at the Teen Titans appearance in World's Finest Comics number 205. So, without any more of this malarkey, let's get into some different malarkey. Namely, the malarkey of that specific comic book. Today's synopsis rhyme is submitted by Ryan Daly. Hi, Ryan. It's actually a paraphrase because I can't find the message you sent it to me on, but it went, I believe, a little something... Like this. It's really hard to rhyme a word with synopsis unless you cheat and rhyme it with synopsis. Synopsis. I think I got that right. Thanks, Ryan. World's Finest, number 205. September, 1971. The Computer That Captured a Town. Written by Steve Skeets. Drotted by Dick Dillon. With inks by Joe Giella. Teen Titan Roll Call. Kid Flash. Speedy. Mal. Lilith. Wonder Girl, and featuring Superman. Our story opens in the small Midwestern town of Fairfield. Mal, Kid Flash, and Speedy are staking out a grocery store. When they spot a desperate man stealing groceries to feed his family, the young superheroes start beating the shit out of him. Huh. Can't put my finger on it, but something seems a little bit off here. Also, Mal is acting very subservient to his white counterparts, and he is speaking even more like an offensive black stereotype than was common for a DC character in the early 70s, which is really saying something. After punching the crap out of the shoplifters and returning the groceries, Wally and Roy head off to a soda shop and tell Mal he should head back to his side of town to be with his own kind. Mal readily agrees. Super creepy. Meanwhile, Lilith and Wonder Girl are hanging out in an apartment in Fairfield, watching TV, and waiting for the boys to call them so they'll have something to do. When Clark Kent, who is now a TV news anchor, comes on the screen, Lilith zones out for a second and subconsciously sends the bespectacled anchor man a telepathic message of an old dude touching a fancy computer in a cave and dying. Along with the message, The Teen Titans are trapped in Fairville. Clark pauses in his newscast and recites the message which confuses the shit out of everyone, including Lilith, who has no memory of sending the message and no idea what it means. Clark decides to investigate that matter as Superman. Oh, did I forget to mention that mild-mannered Clark Kent is really Superman? Because he is. Sorry. After searching through a number of different towns named Fairfield, Superman finally runs into Kid Flash and Mal. Kid Flash is being a racist dick to Mal, and Mal seems cool with that. Kid Flash tells Superman that they love it in Fairfield, Then he says some sexist shit and rushes off for his date with Wonder Girl, leaving a confused Kryptonian in his wake. Superman next encounters Lilith, who also professes her love for Fairfield, and claims not to have any psychic powers. At this point, Supes is pretty freaked out, 
and he decides to poke around the town for a bit. He finds that Fairfield is a pretty regressive place, even by early 70s DC comic standards. Which is saying something. He also finds a bunch of statues of a dude named Richard Handley, but little else of note. Finally, remembering the visions of the old dude touching a computer in a cave, the Man of Steel decides to do a bit of spelunking in the caverns just outside of town. As he approaches a cave that sounds like it has computer noises coming from it, a giant dragon flies out and attacks him. Okay. As Superman slugs it out with a mythical behemoth, the white males of Fairfield get a psychic impulse to be even more proactive about asserting their privilege. So that's where MRAs come from. Superman punching dragons. Good to know. Hey Superman, stop punching dragons. Eventually, Superman sneaks past the dragon into the cave it was guarding and smashes the bejesus out of the computer he finds in there. As soon as he does, the dragon disappears, and the Titans, and presumably the rest of the citizens of Fairfield, snap out of it and revert to their normal personalities. Wonder Girl slaps the shit out of Wally for being sexist, and Mal knocks down Roy for being racist. Hooray! Turns out the computer was an alien thought control device that crash-landed on Earth. When a local citizen named Richard Handley, remember him? touched it. It sucked in all of his thoughts, which killed Handley, but projected his thoughts out as a telepathic ray mesmerizing the citizens of Fairfield. When the Titans wandered into town, they got mesmerized as well. Because Handley was a racist, sexist, Fairfield-loving control freak, everyone else became one too. Also, I guess that he thought that dragons were really awesome or something? Fortunately, Superman was amused to the thought control race because, well, he's Superman. In the end, Everyone learned an important lesson. And Richard Hanley was a real piece of shit. Hooray! Then we get a reprint. The Secret of the Last Man on Earth, written by Gardner Fox, drawn by Mike Sikowski, with inks by Murphy Anderson. Reprinted from Strange Adventures number 111, December 1959. So some dude named Bill wins some kind of astronaut lottery to be the first guy to go on a trip to the moon. The mission goes great, but when he returns, he finds that everyone on the planet is missing. Weird. Then some Martians show up. Bill thinks the Martians must have killed everybody, but nope. It turns out they're good aliens who beamed everyone off the planet into another dimension to protect them from some bad aliens who want to bash the Earth into Mars to kill everyone on both planets. What a bunch of assholes. The Martians offer to beam Bill into the safe dimension with all the other Earthlings, but Bill declines. He'd like to stay and help the Martians fight the bad aliens, who are called Ilstarians. The Ilstarians attack and blow up all the Martian spaceships in like a minute. So Bill teaches the Martians to fly fighter jets. Bill and the Martians defeat the jerkwad aliens who flee back to Ilstar, vowing to never return. Hooray. Good thing they didn't know our jet fighters can't go into space, or they could have just hung out in the upper atmosphere and blown us up with their space guns. Everybody gets beamed back to Earth, and Bill is a big hero. Hooray. Then we got another reprint, called Duel of the Flying Knights. Written by Joe Samichson, drawn by Frank Frazetta. And this is reprinted from Adventure Comics number 153, which came out in June of 1950. Mordred is so tired of Sir Justin the Shining Knight. He thinks he's so cool just because he's got a flying horse and a magic sword and is pure of heart and noble and brave. Justin is always foiling Mordred's plans to kill King Arthur and usurp his throne. What a tool. Mordred's out moping one day when he runs into Bellerophon, an ancient Greek dude who has his own magic horse and has been sleeping in a magic cave for a thousand years. 
Sweet. Mordred lures Sir Justin out into the forest and throws a net over him. Problem is, Sir Justin isn't Aqualad, so the net doesn't really slow him down all that much. Then he tricks Bellerophon into fighting Justin. He slaps mirrors all over the ancient Greek's armor to try to blind the Shining Knight. At first, Bellerophon is like, no way, that's cheating. But then Mordred explains that it isn't cheating, it's just being tricky, which is totally cool with Bellerophon, because all his best ancient Greek buddies loved being tricky. It was their favorite. Justin and Bellerophon start having their flying horse battle, and at first Mordred's plan is working. But then, Justin flies to where it's cloudy and breaks all the mirrors. Snap. Justin and Bellerophon start smiting the crap out of each other. Merlin's worried that somebody might get hurt, so he zaps Bellerophon back to ancient Greece. Hooray. Mordred is super bummed. And joining us now is our special guest. He is the host of the Comic Reflections podcast, and a hell of a nice man. Been with us once before, ladies and gentlemen, Nicholas Prom. Well, thank you again for having me, Hope. Well, oh, thank you again for being had. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what'd you think? That's pretty good. Hey, you didn't uh, you didn't use a synopsis from Ryan Daly, did you? I did. Oh, that Noah can't... No, I'm kidding. Ryan's a friend of mine. I've been on a couple of his shows now. Very so. nice. I am a, a fan of his work, and uh, certainly a fan of his synopsis non-rhyme that he's submitted. <laughs> yeah. Well done, Ryan. So, what'd you think? Um, this is a fun comic. Yeah, um, I was not that impressed with it, honestly. First of all, I think I'm just used to Haney right now. Yeah. And it's a little bit of a tough transition. When Skeets first showed up in... The Teen Titans, the reg- this regular series, yeah. I was really optimistic, and then he just kind of petered out on it a little bit. I like Steve Skates. Mm-hmm. I, have I been saying it wrong? Yeah, I wanted to wait until I came on your show to correct you. I thought it'd be funnier and no, embarrassing that way. Yeah. Um, but it's okay. <laughs> no, that's okay. It's fine. I say a lot of words wrong. I thought that uh, gerund was pronounced gerund for a long time. I don't even know the reference to what you're Oh, it's you're a noun ending in I-N-G. Oh, that word. Now I know it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Not garund, it turns out. I don't know what it, the actual usage of that word. I don't know what it means, so I, well, it's, uh, I've seen it. but Right. It's it's one of those words, like like in uh, Dungeons & Dragons, a bag of holding. Holding would be a gerund. Oh, okay. So uh, your general uh, Dungeons & Dragons, uh, I have played one game relatively recently. It was pretty fun, but it's the only time I've ever played it. But if I need to make a Dungeons & Dragons reference, I will just uh, say noun of gerund. Plus number. Oh, okay. Also, Joe Samixon, it's Samixon. Well, I'm saying Samixon, because okay. I like to believe that he is the son of a sandwich. Well, okay. He's Jewish, so, you know. Then maybe C-H- it's a Roman. CHs go. Huh. Because they do CH like, huh, like uh, Gene from Kiss, it's Chaim Witz. It's, 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 is uh, Joe Samixon as big a douchebag as Gene Simmons from Kiss? There's no possible way. No, because no one is. And no one ever will be. So, yeah, I... I like Steve Skates in general. His work on the Teen Titans stuff, I felt like it was a really strong start and then actually a really strong finish. I loved the first half of the story that he did that Bob Haney took over. But this issue suffered from what some of the ones in the Teen Titans run did, which is nothing really happened. Yeah, I think plot and and, action uh, are sacrificed for the sake of getting real message heavy. Here's the thing. There was no message in this. Well, there wasn't? No. I didn't get it if there was one. Because here's what I saw happen. I feel like if you're going to do the things that he did, and if you're going to address the issues that he did, you have to have a message. 
And I didn't think there was one. I was tempted to use this as the plot synopsis. So, an evil computer from space makes the Teen Titans racist for a minute. Then, Superman fights a dragon, and everybody's okay again. What was learned by this? Well... What was learned in this issue? What issue needed addressing? I don't think it meant... Like it was a, you're supposed to learn a, a specific. I'm the characters lesson. didn't learn anything. No, they didn't. What the message to the reader was here is in broad strokes, we're talking about generational change, problems in society, the generation gap, and uh, the. I'm going to be inarticulate right here because I had a thought. Okay. I had the complete thought and it just floated away. Okay. I, because I. Did not, and I was actually annoyed that I feel like if you're going to, oh, when the dragon was the symbol for, you know, slaying the the ills of society, that's where I was going with that. Yeah. I didn't get that. I didn't get that at all. I thought it was, they were made racist for a second, but then their heads cleared and they weren't racist anymore, so that's good. The only message I was able to take away from it is, ah, this Hanley guy seems like a real dick. Yeah. Um, I thought a similar thing was done in the Denny O'Neill, Neil Adams, Green Arrow series, where... Which is awesome. It's totally awesome, and there's the issue where the cult leader, the racist cult leader, uses the mind control on Black Canary to make her racist. Oh, yeah. You know the one I'm talking about? You. At the end of that issue, she realizes that the racism was actually a part of her character and that the guy was able to exploit it. So she leaves with, okay, I need to work on this. I am not perfect. Titans come out of this being like, whew, that sucked. Glad I'm not racist anymore. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I feel like if you're going to have, and it was very uncomfortable. The, the issue, watching the Teen Titans behave in that way, and especially watching Mal behave Ooh. like an Amos and Andy character and talk yeah. like that, yeah. I'll step and fetch it shit, that was really uncomfortable. And I mean, I'm not it, saying you can't do that, but right. I'm saying if you do that, it has to be in service of something larger, and I didn't think it was. I mean, it was pretty well spelled out that they were under the influence of something, and this was not normal. Right. And it was... I th- it was important to do that, otherwise this is just a reprehensible story. Well, yeah, I, yeah, obviously. Um, but, um, you know, there are things. Superman just serves to be this deus ex machina here. Right. Um, well, and I think that's really driven home. There's a scene where he is explaining really quickly everything that happened in the issue. And, and like, giving yeah. all of the exposition at the end. Like, here's yeah. how this worked. And he says, and I was immune to the rays because, and he trails off, and I think Mal finishes his thought and goes, because you're Superman. Yeah, that I think that really drives home that he's just like, well, he's Superman, he can do whatever. Although, it, it is, I thought, somewhat interesting that he could not beat the dragon. That, I don't know how the fuck, the, the conjuring a physical manifestation of a dragon seems outside of this alien computer's wheel well. Yeah, I mean... That that is such a Bob Haney device. Oh, it totally is. You know, it reminded me of uh, Doctor Destiny's uh, Materiopticon, which yeah, is neat. It is, and that's a fun word to say too. Yeah, it really is great. <laughs> yeah, but it, it is interesting to me, and I think part of why he didn't just like slap the dragon around and then be on his way. Yeah, it seems like Superman should have been able to, but this is the early seventies, and they were in the process of making Superman a little bit weaker. At this point, is nineteen seventy one, and this he, is this is the time they they're kind of because they brought in Morgan Edge as the character. He's a news anchor instead of a newspaper reporter. Yeah, and man, Morgan Edge's sideburns in this were really intense. Oh yeah, and man. you could tell they were added after too. Right? No, and, that, and I, there's someone somewhere in the editorial process. Somebody was just like. 
Uh, Morgan Edge needs bigger sideburns than that. And I don't really recall his him really having them or them being particularly. No, and he's got like a Beatlesy mop top too, which yeah. which was not the case generally with Morgan Edge. Yeah. I think they were still feeling out the character a little bit. Yeah, and yeah, because he was still really new in '71. They just introduced him, right? Right, but yeah, at this point in Superman, they'd gotten rid of all the kryptonite, right? Or most of the kryptonite Here's for a second. Here's what it was. The kryptonite, all the, and I don't remember exactly what caused it, but all the kryptonite on Earth had been turned to iron. Gotcha. So it didn't like make him immune to kryptonite itself, but he was immune to all the pieces of kryptonite that happened to be on Earth. Okay. So, because there was already tons of it. Right, and this was an attempt to just make the character and his comic books less silly at this point, right? Yeah, and I... The idea sounds good, but Superman was really fun when you have all these things, like all the yeah. different kryptonite and bizarros and, and and weird stuff like that. Well, and it's the same problem that I have with the Zack Snyder movies, which is fundamentally Superman is kind of a silly character, and that's okay. Yeah. Like, you don't need to grim and gritty everything about every aspect of comedy. And, and I don't want Superman to be grim and gritty. No. I want Superman to smile. Yeah. And... And save people and and fight evil. And fight and, evil, but also fight Mr. Mixtapitalek. Yeah, and care about people. Yeah. And know that, that everyone's life is valuable and he doesn't want anyone to die. Right. If he can prevent someone's death by shooting tiny supermen out of his fingers, then so be it. One time, one <laughs> story. That is a great story. We yeah. covered that on my show. <laughs> um, it is loads of fun. I love the Silver Age. Yeah, no, it's good stuff. Um, but that's not what they're going for with this one. And, yeah, like I said... But the thing is, if you dec- cut infinite power in half, it's still infinite. And that's the problem, yeah. Yeah. Because there, I mean, really aren't, you know, real upper limits of Superman's abilities. I mean, like, there's Silver Age stories, or even early Bronze Age, where he's towing planets around. Right. So one of the things that I wanted to, to talk about in the story, too, yeah. is... Obviously, the treatment of Mal was very uncomfortable in this. Yeah. But it was also odd to me. There's the one scene where as Superman is fighting the dragon, the computer is apparently having some kind of a backlash and everybody that's basically all the white males in the town are (laughs) doubling down on reasserting their privilege. Right. And there's a scene where just some stranger dude is backhanding Mal. Yeah. Mal is the only black character we see in this issue. But it it talks about there being... Him having a side of town, and there, yeah, there are references to there being other black characters. That doesn't really make sense with Richard Hanley's vision for his town. I wouldn't think you would think he's as racist as it is. And I'm wondering if maybe Mal is the only black person in Fairfield at the time. Well, and so he goes back to his side of town, but that's just him being by himself. Yeah. Well, I'm thinking maybe we only see Mal because. He is friends with the other Titans, so there's, he's kind of coming over to this side right. anyway to, to hang with them, even though they're treating him badly. Yeah, and but, that's the other thing that didn't really make maybe, sense to me. Because part of, like, Hanley's thing was yeah. all the women had to stay at home because they shouldn't be out there fighting crime. Wouldn't he have felt the same way since he is depicted as a racist? I, I'm surprised that Mal didn't just stay at home, too. Well, I think because me... I mean, this is just, just an idea... Maybe the thought of, like, well, fighting crime is work. Okay. And he's a crime fighter. If you're work, you're working for, you know, for somebody or or Mr. Handley. And I think Mr. Handley is, like, he doesn't mind 
people of color being existing as long as he sees them in a subservient okay. role. Okay. That 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 does actually make sense. Uh, I do think though it's weird that, and I, I think it's honestly just DC not wanting to. He's like, we have like two black people in the DC universe at this point. One of them's Mal. Um, yeah. If we have to show something happening to the other scenes, are it's just like some random guy talking to his wife and who telling her not to give him any sass, and that's just a random couple. But then the other person is random guy. And what is very clearly Mal, who is wearing the jumpsuit. Yeah. And it just seemed weird. And I, it should have just been a random guy, unless, as I suspect, Mal is the only black person in Fairfield. And lives in an abandoned part of town by himself during his stay there. He may or he may not. It's not super clear. Yeah. But since this is Handley's racist, you know, old-timey vision of the world, they could just be out of sight. Sure. So. Why... Is there any crime in Hanley's vision of his town? Um, like, shouldn't that affect the guy and prevent him from stealing groceries to feed his right. family? In the opening panels, the first page, yeah, first couple pages, we do see Speedy and Kid Flash being all Javert on this Jean Valjean type yeah, of guy. Yeah, no, no, they are, they are tracking him the fuck down. And I wonder if that was just like an early part of the draft where like maybe Hanley was supposed to be like a literally there and uh, this oppressive force. Huh. And then, like, that kind of got forgotten. And So you suspect that this story had multiple drafts? Well, I'm thinking that <laughs> there was a germ of an idea, and that's where it started. Gotcha. And then that, that plot thread, or that notion, just kind of got dropped as we went on through the story. Yeah. I did think it was interesting, too. Uh, apparently, the uh, creepy old dude, Hanley, liked rock, was fine with there being rock and roll. Like, because Lilith and... Donna are listening to rock and roll and watching television. He has no problem with those things Yeah, in his weird brain. And I guess he loved dragons, too? I, yeah. <laughs> I, I get the impression that Handley is old-timey in a sense so that maybe he... Because it was like his mental impressions from his de- dying brain put on that machine. Maybe he was like pre-television, pre-rock and roll, so he didn't have any notions of okay, that. Okay, so they to, were to around for him to disapprove of. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. It's just conjecture, but... Yeah, no, that's all we got. (laughs) (laughs) It is DC Comics. Yeah. Um, So complicated and so many questions. Yeah, it doesn't... I I still don't (laughs) think it makes sense that there was any crime, but... (sighs) Okay. But it's... The craziness makes this stuff so fun. Yeah. Yeah, no, I I, I understand that. Um, Even though it's not a great story, I mean, it's like, I just love how bonkers this stuff is. I don't know, I... I generally really do appreciate that about the Teen Titans story. As I said in in this one, it's the fact that it wants to be a serious story but doesn't go all the way with it and just kind of leaves it lying there. And it, it feels like it feels like it's cheating to try to make me care about yeah. this story in this the way that it yeah. does. Well, and Steve Skates could have brought forward like a more intense, serious story. And editorial said, "No, you got to tweak this." It, it's that's certainly possible. There, there's also though the there is an attempt to interject some form of message at the end where like, wow, this Handley guy was a complicated person because he loved his hometown, but he didn't do it. So I guess everybody's really a complicated person. It's phrased something it's, like that. Right, and it's kind of a and wash. And they could have worked of a that in, but they could have made it like, like, oh, there's different aspects. They didn't really show anything good at all about this Handley guy, except that he liked Fairview, yeah. or Fairfield. But let me... Pause it this to you. Okay. You probably have uncles or friends of the family 
who are very generous and very kind to you. And you right. may have some fond memories with them. Yeah. Who have horrible political views and, 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 and views of what society ought to be. And, and that's fine. And that's a hard thing to... But they didn't convey that. Okay. That, that's, if, if that I was mean, the I message... I mean, I made that connection. So I was like, okay. Yeah, but you kind of made that connection up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Fair. I mean... I, I, I don't think that connection is really textually, textually supported in, in this. I, I mean, I think right. that's what they're going for. But that's they what I'm trying to didn't, say. They didn't do it. You know, right. it yeah, was nice when uh, Wally got slapped. Yeah, that was a, that was a fun part. Yeah, I think the story is kind of like it works in that it's seeding some good ideas for you to think about later. Okay, even though it doesn't I just have feel like us... it washed them out at the end. I, I know it's it's a one part story in an and it's not like it's a teen in a Teen Titans comic book right. or a Superman comic book specifically right. it, it so it's by the nature of the series a one off right. but i i don't know eh. it's tricky it's not great yeah but it's not awful no i mean and it, there was some fun stuff with dragon punching yeah got to love dragon punching yeah and i think the attempt to uh have some thought-provoking positive uh, social message, even if it's not perfectly conveyed and doesn't really have the bow tied at the end. Yeah. It, it's it's better than them just go fight a, a, a supervillain, you know, or fight fight the symptom of crime rather, rather I, than the cause I of crime. I kind of disagree. I, I, I think that if you're going to bring up these issues, you have to have some kind of a message behind them, or else it there, there's no purpose to it, and it's cheating. It felt like cheating. Okay, but I did. So there, there was one scene where Kid Flash is being a real dick, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, everybody in town is being a dick. Yeah, but he's being such a dick. He's like, this is like the precursor to him as the Reagan Republican of the eighties. Yeah, that he was. I know, I know. They made him a very conservative character, which felt like it was going against. I mean, yeah. Yeah, and when when a superhero has those kinds of views. It's hard not to see them or write them as a complete fascist. Yeah. Guy Gardner syndrome. Yeah. <laughs> but that is not the Kid Flash that we know at this point. No. And it's it, it's un, it's unnerving. And, and I, I do get that. And, and that is done effectively. It, it certainly is a very unnerving issue to read. But there's a scene where he is going to pick up Wonder Girl for her date. Yeah. And he's like, it's at the end, so the ray is just wearing off. Apparently, between him saying this and her hearing him say this, <laughs> it wears off. And the same thing happens with Roy being and racist to Mal. That's a wonderful classic trope of like, uh, of television. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, that that timing is great. But he he's like, hey, how come this place is such a pigsty? You girls have nothing to do all day. And he's being a dick when he says it. But given the world that they're living in, kind of has a point. <laughs> yeah. That place is fucking trash. And they have literally been lying around it all day. Because in their... in With this raid, they they literally have nothing to do. They don't crime fight or anything. Lilith could have picked up a little. Yeah. She's going to have company. I picked up the house a little bit because you were coming over. Oh, well, and I appreciate that. Well, thank you. 
That way, that way, nobody has to slap anybody. Okay. Because Wonder Girl slaps the shit out of Kid Flash as Lilith looks on gleefully, which is pretty great. It is pretty great. You want to talk about the uh, the first backup story a little bit? Well, well, the first backup story, I really like uh, Murphy Anderson's inking of Mike Sikowski's art. It came across really well. I We were discussing beforehand. I, I have kind of a negative opinion overall of Sikowski that I'm trying to break myself yeah. of. Because I was first exposed to him by his work at Atlas Comics on Iron Jaw, which yeah. is, he is not well suited for it. And it is specifically bad work. But to be fair, really almost everybody at Atlas did bad work and they were all good artists and writers sure it was weird it's almost like not to stay on this uh, atlas tangent too long but it's almost like they knew the house was on fire <laughs> they're getting paid top rates and they're like cool we'll just turn out some crap and yeah just to get our paycheck great and go. cash grab yeah. yeah yeah i think you're right well i mean but sikowski's work in this is yeah. is pretty good actually yeah yeah no and and murphy anderson's inks really are wonderful, and they really make it look great. Yeah. I mean, it almost looks like Murphy Anderson penciled and inked the thing himself. Yeah. Because uh, the art is not dissimilar to his uh, Captain Comet stories. Right. Which are rad. Yeah, it, it, it has a really almost like uh, like Steve Canyon style like yeah. artwork to it. it yeah, I mean, and this is a st- story from, my what, the 50s? Uh, this one is from 59. Oh, okay. So it's later on. Yeah, but I mean, the... The Milton Caniff influence uh, in the, in the forties and fifties is huge. Yeah, I mean he's maybe the most imitated cartoonist in the medium. Yeah, I really enjoyed this story. Actually, it is really fun. It's part of a feature that they were starting to do in this though that has the dumbest name I have maybe yeah. ever heard, which is "Fiction is Stranger Than Truth." Well, duh, <laughs> especially if it's science fiction. Like, dude. <laughs> What? That's the dumbest thing ever. God, I love how square DC comics are. Yeah. But their science fiction stories are usually really cool. I just picture hearing one of them hear the f- phrase, uh, truth is stranger than fiction, and just being like, no, it isn't. No, no. We're going to fix that. Like, yeah. truth is stranger than fiction is has an irony to it. Yes. This is just like, well, yep, here it is. Yeah. It's actually a really fun story. Yeah. And, and there, there's a lot of cool touches in it. I mean, Gardner Fox wrote it. He was a great science fiction yeah, writer. Yeah, and he was also goofy as hell in his plots. Oh, and, man. And, and, and in a really fun way. But there's a, couple of, there's a couple of things in it that particularly resonated with me. One of which is, at the end of the, of the story, like, he does his Independence Day thing where he teaches the aliens to fly... Oh! I didn't even make that connection. Yeah, that was all I could think of. I was picturing one of the Martians because he teaches the Martians to fly fighter jets in like nothing flat. Too. Right. I was like, I just kept picturing one of the Martians being Randy Quaid. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is great. And and that partly that made the story fun. But then after the the aliens leave, he's got a month to kick it on an abandoned Earth before his family returns. That sounds so fucking awesome. Dude, I would jerk off in everybody's house. I, I guess that would be one way to go about it. Yeah. I was just thinking, man, it, it's it's like you get the fantasy aspects of like legend and all that stuff. Like where you're the last man on earth and you just get to go and do whatever. Yeah. But you know that it's for a finite amount of time. You can just go around and do whatever the fuck you want. And then you get your family back. You get everything. Everybody's back. Yeah. And they think you're a huge hero. Because right. you are, because you saved the planet. 
Although, really, Even I guess at European, that point... They everyone's would drinking only, glasses. Yeah. At that point, they would really only have your word for it that you would save the Earth from anything. Right? I mean, do the aliens tell them while they're in the... What was it? The time vault? They're in a time vault. They're in suspended animation. Oh, so I don't know that if they can was? be told anything. Yeah. So how would they even know you're not full of crap? Eh, maybe the aliens left a note. Of course. They're pretty good aliens. And then they believe there were aliens? Like, how would they... If they were in the time vault, they were in suspended animation, how would they know any time had elapsed? Ah, maybe they, uh... Yeah, this was before digital watches. Yeah. Uh... I mean, I'm going I, with aliens left a note. Yeah, because otherwise, I don't think people would pick up on the time it allows right away. Yeah. 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 It's... The dawning of that, in, that something was different, that would be an interesting, not comic story, but short story to read. Yeah. All right, you want to talk about the uh, Shining Knight story? Oh, yes, I do. Pretty good. Yeah, I love Sir Justin. He I do, too. such a noble hero. And I love Frazetta, but man, this doesn't look like Frazetta at all. This this period for Frazetta, it looks so much like uh, Joe Kubert and Steve Ditko's work of this same period. Ah. Like, they all are just a wash of looking very samey. It's And as we discussed earlier, I, this whole time. story is like a total Hal Foster, Prince Valiant ripoff. Yeah, in fact, there's even a character, I was like, is that... Val? It might have been. But he had that page cut, you know? Yeah. Yeah. This story I thought was actually a lot of fun. I haven't read a lot of Golden Age comics, and so it was a a nice little treat. This is a good one. Um, Do you know what year this story was from? 1950. Oh, okay. So it's post-war, so yeah, it's late Golden Age. But yeah. Yeah, Yeah, Golden Age, there was so much material. Right. And now, comics of the period are really hit and miss, but... There is a lot to enjoy. Yeah. Going, um, well, and I, I really like this. It, it's there. There is some weird, goofy shit in this. Yeah. I like when they throw a net over him, and he's just like, "Yeah, big deal. I can get out of this. No yeah. problem." Yeah. It's like, man, you gotta give Aquaman and Aqualad lessons, right? Because nets aren't that big a fucking yeah. deal, dude. <laughs> there is that. One thing that it's interesting about the Shining Knight is it's not like a strictly a superhero story because it's it's set in. A, it's a fantasy medieval setting. Right. But it's mostly just a regular medieval setting. Mostly. That there is a flying horse and two. a magic sword. In. Well, at this point, there's two because Belepharon comes in. Yeah. I'm glad you pronounced that. <laughs> yeah. It, uh, he's based on an actual Greek Greek myth guy. Oh, I see. I didn't know um, yeah. He's uh, one of Poseidon's kids. He's a demigod. Oh, okay. Uh, I don't remember any of the shit that he did. I know he actually impacts the DC universe later. He leaves a Greek terrorist his horse and magic sword and gives him... Or he doesn't have a magic sword. He leaves a Greek terrorist his uh, horse and gives him Zeus's lightning powers and then that guy fights uh, Wonder Woman a lot. Oh, cool. What's that guy's name? Uh, Aegon or something like that. Okay. I only know him because I was reading some old... uh, Who's who in the DCU. Now, is that from the Perez run? I don't know. Okay. I haven't actually read any of his stories. It's okay. I I haven't read much of it, so... Yeah. But it's just interesting that he does tie in again with it later. I love how DC will just go back and pull stuff from... That's, like, so forgotten and dusted off. Yeah, why not? It's there. Yeah. It's free. Yep. There's... So, at the end... Merlin's just like, eh, enough of this horse shit. I'm sending this guy back to the past. Zaps him with a lightning bolt. 
I don't think he sent him back to the past. I think he killed him. I think he just blew him up and Prince Valiant, or not Prince Valiant, Sir Justin, uh, Sir Justin just goes, uh, oh, he must have sent him back to the past. One well, like, what? I think he just evaporated him with lightning. And why didn't Merlin do that in the first place? Why did Sir Justin have to have be in this duel? Yeah, I don't know. Because, you know? because it's, it's because not he... affecting him directly. It doesn't affect yeah. Merlin directly mm-hmm. unless his friend might get hurt. Okay. Plus, he wanted to see a good fight. I also liked how quickly... Doesn't that make Merlin kind of a dick? Oh, Merlin's totally a dick. And you haven't even seen Excalibur yet, have you? I haven't, but I have read a fair amount of Arthurian legends, and yeah. Merlin comes across as kind of a shady dude. I mean, if you had in magic, general. if you had magic powers, and you could like look like other people, and you know, you know, pass, you know, just incognito mm-hmm. all the time, wouldn't you fuck with people too? Oh. Yeah, but I probably wouldn't blow up a dude with a flying horse. I wouldn't mm-hmm. kill one of the two flying horses in the world. Yeah. I mean, that's just me. Maybe, but maybe I mean, if could, you would, I don't. I'm not trying to throw shade on you. If no, I'm you not wanna, saying me. I'm if just you want to kill some flying horses, you. I'm not saying town, that. Dude. I'm not saying I specifically would do that thing. I'm just saying fuck with people. Sure, sometimes because you're a wizard, and it could be amusing. Yeah, I guess the the actually the original Titan story did bring to mind my uh, when people asked if you could have any superpower. For years, my answer was uh, the ability to make people poop their pants by pointing at them, and that specifically <laughs> it would work through the television. Because when Lilith uses her telepathy through the oh television set, I was like, man, I would just watch Regis and Kathy Lee every day and just make, <laughs> make, make them poop. both poop their pants and, and, and just watch and be like, I know what's happening. I know why he's making that face. Yeah. Yeah. So. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, I guess I wouldn't be a totally benevolent yeah. wizard. <laughs> now the truth comes out. But I would have been—I cont- wouldn't have blown him up with lightning. I would have been content to make that ancient Greek knight just poop his pants on top of that horse. But also, if you're gonna like make a horse explode, maybe you could like strangle the knight with the horse's entrails or something crazy like, like that, like Ricky O style. Ricky O. Oh, it's a crazy ass uh, Korean movie. Oh, I've heard of this. Yeah. There's a, a lot of people punch each other's hands off in the movie. Yeah. And there's a scene where it's it's a prison kung fu movie, gore movie. And there's a scene where there's a big fight and he, he punches a guy and then uh, basically rips out the guy's entrails. And then they use the entrails in the fight a punch. Yeah, I've um, heard about it. I've seen some clips from uh, this In answer to your question, no, I wouldn't do that to a horse. Okay. That's, that seems bad. There, I did enjoy in this backup story, too, there's Mordred... Mordred is such a dick, and it's kind of fun, but he fools Bellerophon into fighting Sir Justin, yeah. but when he's trying to convince him to do the thing where he puts mirrors all over his armor to blind the yeah. Shining Knight, I like how quickly he goes from, that's cheating, I'm not going to do that, and Mordred's just like, it's not tri- it's not cheating, it's being tricky and cunning. And he's like, oh, tricky and cunning? Oh, shit, we do that all the time. I'm good with that. Nice. Right, that that's that's different. I'm yeah. fine with being tricky and shady and right. sneaky. And Mordred wears a beret and looks just like that guy that works for Darkseid that I can't remember the name of. Yeah, neither one of us could. It's a shame there's no way to figure this out. But we live in ancient times with no internet. <laughs> what can you do? So okay, let's go back. What was your favorite slang? It was hard to to do that, and I'm gonna give a cop out answer because. All of the slang seemed to be really racist or sexist. Most of it, yes. 
I didn't really pick up anything that was benign. Well, there was one that I actually found, but you're right. It, it was kind of sparse. But uh, when Lilith is watching Clark Kent on television and Wonder Girl is like, turn it off. Who cares about the news? I only want my rock and roll yeah. scrapbook to be better. I like the idea of a rock and roll scrapbook, too. That would be fun. Um, but she says of Clark Kent, don't turn him off because he turns me on. And I thought that was kind of fun. Yeah, that I, was fun. I enjoyed that. And yeah, that was, as you said, really, most of the slang that was employed was making Mal sound like even more of an offensive black stereotype than was acceptable to do at DC Comics right. at the he time. He was like two steps away from being like Manton Moreland, who I love. But I'm he's not familiar. Like, Manton Moreland had made a career of being that, ooh, I'm getting out of here, boss! Oh, okay, gotcha. Okay, I gotcha. love him, but... You know. Yeah, no, he, he he wasn't that far removed from that. There's also a character in a comic book that was coming out around this time, which was DC's uh, adaptation of, I think it was The Avenger. The uh, Oh, the pulp hero. The pulp hero. Yeah. Where one of the ancillary characters in that was basically used dual identity and would masquerade as a much... Would masquerade as a horrible, crude stereotype as a black per- of a black person, Ooh. even though he was a well-educated black person. Um, and Kirby was doing that. Kirby, series. Kirby was doing that series. It's I've only read the first two issues, but it was like this kind of isn't okay. The, this this is not great. I wish this was not happening. But yeah, it, it it's that kind of uncomfortable. Yeah. So yes, that that slang, I immediately was like, nope, I want to pretend that isn't happening that's not good what was your favorite panel my favorite panel it was a toss-up on page 16 there's a great panel of floating heads that's very reminiscent of ditko or gilkane right I that's like... when superman is punching the dragon and everybody's getting all men's rights activists yeah yeah <laughs> yeah um, but then the other panel is the bottom of page 20 with the rays have worn off sure. and Mal punches, uh, pushes Speedy to the ground. I like that a lot. That was good. I, I wanted him to punch him. Yeah. <laughs> Especially because Speedy is kind of big on punching people in the face for no reason. Yeah. Um, I, I would have liked to see Mal punt, clock off yeah. and punch him. And he knocked his junky ass to the ground. Yeah. And that, that was nice. I had a very similar one. Mine was the slap when Wonder, Girl. when Wonder Girl slaps Kid Flash in the face and Lilith is just like standing there going, yeah, yeah, get him. That that I really enjoyed. And it was kind of a, a cathartic moment where it's just like, okay, thank fucking Christ. They're back to their old selves. Right. The Did you have favorite panels for any of the backup stories? Uh, you know, I didn't think about them because I, I tend to to think of it's the main, the Titan right. story. So I didn't do that. I'm sorry. There were a couple that I really liked. In the Secret of the Last Man on Earth, Yeah, there's one where the Martians first show up and it's Bill fleeing from the flying saucers. Oh, that panel And it's just rad. really iconic. And it's really just like, wow, that that is just a really nice piece of pop art. Yeah, no, I love that. You're right. Um, this, I enjoyed a lot of the art in that story. Yeah, no, it was really well done. And like I said, uh, I need to start giving Sikowski a little bit more credit than right. I do. And, and I also, understand that's Murphy Anderson was, was but, doing some of the heavy lifting there. Sikowski, it's, and like, he's like a Don Heck. Like, it really depends on the project. And oftentimes it really depends on the anchor. Yeah, yeah, because I we, we discussed earlier, too, I really like Sikowski's work on the new Wonder Woman. Yeah, me too. I think that's his best work. But, like, I'm not crazy about his 
Justice League of America run. Yeah. Until... I'm not crazy about Dick Dillon's Justice League of America run either, which was enormous. It was. It was... I think it even surpassed uh, Sikowski's run, which was quite sizable. Yeah. Dick Dillon's a little better, but not too much. Yeah. And poor Dick Dillon died while working on the book. I mean, jeez. Sikowski's JLA stuff, I think, improves once Sid Green starts inking him. He kind of, like, rounds off a lot of those uh, rough edges of his, and it makes it a little more palatable. Right. there. I think Dick Dillon does a very nice job in the main story for the most part. Oh, no, I think uh, he's good. I think that Kid Flash, honestly, looks a little bit off to me in most yeah. of it. Yeah. But I think he does actually a really nice job with Wonder Girl and Lilith, and he actually does a pretty decent job with Speedy and Mal for the most part. Mal, there's a beautiful panel on the last page of the story, and this was Contender. It's a top panel on the yeah. last page. It's a, real, a nice close-up of Mal, and he just... He looks beautiful. He does. What's weird in that is actually Superman doesn't look so good. He, he no. it's, it's a profile and he looks kind of like a... He looks a little angry. He, he looks angry and he looks like his eyes are way too far apart. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, overall, he does a nice job. And there's actually my backup uh, favorite panel for, for that story was when the dragon first shows up. Yeah, the dragon it's actually is really rad. nicely rendered. And it really looks like the dragon from, I think, the story, the dragon from Krypton from the Silver Age. And it, uh, it it is also, it is a full page spread of the dragon showing up, which right. is a lot rarer back then. Yeah, this is, the 70s is when that full page splash is starting to become more commonplace. Right. I mean, outside of, I think, you would see it pretty often in like the mid to late run of Kirby's run on the Fantastic Four. Yeah. But outside of that, you're not seeing a whole lot of those. Yeah. And here... It, it, it's done and it's done well. I was surprised by it. It definitely stood out and I liked it. And then in the uh, in the Shining Night story, which... It's it, fun. It, it's, there's a scene where Mordred is getting smacked in the face by the magic sword and it is covered in netting. He's just getting bonked in the face with it. And he look, the face he is making is just like... Ugh. <laughs> Stop it! And it's really just a nice scene of the Shining Knight bullying Sir Mordred, and I really enjoy that. Yeah, it 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 makes me chuckle every time I look at it. I'm definitely going to post that on the site. It's pretty fun. So, who is your favorite Titan? I'm going to qualify this, okay? But it was Mal, and not because he spent most of the story being subservient and kind of hanging his head. But I couldn't assume it was for that reason. Okay, okay. But once the rays wear off and he is reaffirmed as an equal and, like, he's empowered... And he's pushed uh, Speedy to the ground. Yeah. I'm, like, right on. This is the Mal that I want to see. This okay. is great. And okay. So I, I really liked him a lot. No, that, that was nice. And that was a very nice moment and very, very much a relief. Uh, yeah. Well, if they didn't do that... Yeah, if there was no moment of that or or of, yeah, uh, or of Kid Flash getting slapped by Wonder Girl. Then there's no consequences for being awful. Right. And there has to be. Yeah. Even if they're very, very slight. Right. My favorite is Lilith because she's the one who got him out of the predicament uh, with her her magic power. And it's weird because she's under the influence of the rays of the machine. Right. So it's operating on a subconscious level. Which I like. I thought that was really cool, really clever. It, it, it was it was well done. Well, yeah. this is great in this, and she doesn't. I mean, doesn't seem to shine a whole lot in these stories. They're using her more and more in yeah, in because they they just had the the issue that we just did. There's a, a Lilith backup story, which 
it's kind of a nothing story, but really the whole Romeo and Juliet thing centers around her and her yeah. use of powers. She uses her, her powers inconsistently and mostly for exposition, it seems like. Yeah. Um, but to that end, she gets used a fair amount. So yeah, anyway, my choice is uh, Lilith. So, what do you think Aqualad's up to? And Robin. Who cares? Who cares? Robin's at college, you know? And, he's doing and, fine. And he's still the psychic of Batman. Yeah, He's, so he's he's up to plenty. My what are my what is Aqualad up to really was tied in with Robin, but okay. okay. Well, what so do you I, think Aqualad I, and Robin are up to? I think they're they weren't in the story. They were laid up because they had just too intense a match of Rochambeau because she got out of hand and mm. and they just had to lay low and not lick their wounds. That doesn't sound right. No. But uh, but you know recuperate. Okay. Well, you're wrong. Okay. Robin is at college. Right. I forgot being a dick. Yeah. Um, literally. Yeah. yeah. Working on a couple levels there. I yeah. like that. And Aqualad is in upstate New York. What's he doing in upstate New York? Well, he was just trying to go and, you know, clear his head for a little bit. Oh, he was picking um, up hookers on the dock side, right? No, 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 no. He he had recently, thanks to Beaky's incompetence, killed Jim Morrison. See now, um, now I'm on on the page with the the Beaky jokes. Ah, last time I was here, I had forgotten that you made up Beaky for these, and I was very. Uh, I discovered Beaky. Yeah, he was there all along. <laughs> right, it, it's subtext in a it's, lot of the. It's stories. really between the panels. Yeah. So he's ditched Beaky for the day, and he's gone up to <laughs> upstate New York, and he's just trying to clear his head. He wanted to go check out uh, Niagara Falls, and he, he's there, and then he uh, he caught wind of a pretty cool concert that was going on. And he is actually attending a uh, Funkadelic concert. P-Funk? No, pre-P-Funk, when they were just Funkadelic. Oh! But he ends up hanging out with those guys backstage. They have a good time, and he starts telling telling George Clinton some of the stories. Like the time when he fought the space aliens. And just generally, they, they form a bit of a rapport, and... Clinton's pretty fucked up at this point. <laughs> but a lot of the P-Funk mythology actually came out of those conversations. The mothership connection oh. um, was, uh, of course, a reference to uh, Aqualad's encounter with the aliens. And the uh, the Cernos Devoid of Funk character, who cannot swim and therefore is evil, hmm. uh, is someone that George Clinton developed as a homage to Aqualad. Because Aqualad's so great, yeah. the opposite of Aqualad would have to be Sir Nose Devoid of Funk, who cannot swim. So in a way, Aqualad helped Funk, or Parliament, get over the hump. He did indeed. Excellent. Yes. Well, this was a lot of fun, Nicholas. Thank oh. you so much for joining us. Was oh. there anything you wanted to add? No, we're good. Thank you so oh. much for having me. Oh, actually... Did want to really briefly mention the letter column in this? Uh, oh yeah, in this issue oh, had, had, a, had a couple of uh, notable names in there. Oh yes, we did. We... There, there is a disapproving letter from a Mister Bob Rosakis, who would, uh, in just a couple years' time, be the known as the Answer Man at DC Comics mm-hmm. and be a writer there. And a couple years after that, will take over a fairly significant run on the comic book series that we are covering, the Teen Titans. Yeah. Um, also, uh, a fan letter from Martin Pasco, who in a few short years would also be writing at DC. Yep. 
And uh, and who I mostly know as coming up with the Batman Mask of the Phantasm movie, which is real good. I forgot that was Martin Pascoe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I love that. I love reading the other columns. Like, yeah, that guy's going to be reading writing these comics in just yeah. a couple years. Yeah, it's it's cool to just to find names. There's I, my favorite one that I've done so far is when we were covering on the traveling through the Bronze Age. We were covering the the Cat miniseries, oh, yeah. and there was a letter from a young Frank Miller uh, talking about how he would like to see more, how nice it was for him to see strong, uh, self-sufficient female characters. And it's like, wow, you are a very different person, Frank Miller. He wasn't always horrible. It's true. And it's nice to be reminded of that sometimes. Where can people find more of your work, Nicholas? Oh, well, Comic Reflections is available on iTunes and mm. Stitcher. Uh, you can find us on a our WordPress. It's uh, comicreflections.wordpress.com or org or whatever how WordPress goes. I'm trying really hard to catch up with that. It's not up to date with mm. our, current, our most current stuff, but plugging right along. And on Twitter, Facebook. Cool. Cool. Well, thank you so much for joining us. This has been a special episode of Teen Titans Wasteland that has been brought to you by Patreon donators. So if you would like to become one of those, please do. That'd be nice. Yeah, you can do that at www.patreon.com backslash ttwasteland. If you'd like to send me a letter, I'd love to hear from you. I've gotten some really nice ones lately, and thank you for those. That is at ttwasteland at gmail.com. Or just check out the Facebook page or the Tumblr blog or... We're on Stitcher and iTunes, and uh, yeah, I feel like leaving an iTunes review. I wouldn't hurt my feelings. <laughs> oh, unless it's one that hurts my feelings. Don't, don't do that. Anyway, uh, this has been really fun. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. And they know it.